a podcast about drinks, trivia, and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim, and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Ileary. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Lager, lager, lager. I was watching Pointless earlier, and it was an answer on there, so I blame that. Uh, I'm drinking lager, and I'm thinking about pub games. Ah, pub, okay, question already. Pub game or pub sport? Mm, I call difference? them game because I'm adverse to sports. <laughs> <laughs> right, sport feels like it has no place belonging in a pub at all. Yeah, sport but, feels too healthy. But, on the, but by the same token, I feel like things like snooker and darts probably qualify as a pub sport because... You can earn quite a lot of money doing that professionally. Yeah. And most darts players are athletes. <laughs> <laughs> Body of an athlete. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I guess, sports are normally involve kind of more physical activity. Maybe you, know, you can do them. If you, I think, I feel like if you can do it professionally earn a living from it it's a sport rather than a game but sports can also be games because games are fun and have rules and you do it for pleasure but i don't think games are necessarily sports what about those people that earn loads of money playing Fortnite? and yeah they're called they're called esports yeah of course they are yeah i think that's for me that's the difference i think you, you like that could be a big debate that we won't go into but I reckon I reckon if you can earn a living from it it's a sport not just a game what about chess um well again big tournaments big money I think that's considered a sport (laughs) really yeah (laughs) okay I mean look you don't have to wear lycra for it but (laughs) I would I would (laughs) I'd rock up in lycra and a cape if I was in a chess tournament. <laughs> like evil Knievel. <laughs> I would um, I would turn up like a sumo wrestler in one of those big nappies. <laughs> that would be my, my chess wear. But fill it with snacks because you're going to be there a while. <laughs> of course I'm going to fill my nappy with snacks. What else do you put in your nappy? <laughs> No chocolate bars, though, because it gives the wrong impression. <laughs> it might intimidate them, so I would. <laughs> <laughs> so you're drinking a lager. I'm drinking a pale ale. I get mm-hmm. the same feeling, you know, if we're going to the pub, straight up, let's just go for an ale. But yeah. I've gone for um, the Brew by Numbers pale ale. And you know how I was actually at their tap room the other day, just down the road. And, you know, Brew by Numbers thing is each variety has a number. Yeah. It's like the majority of their branding. This one, the Pale Ale, is 21. And I thought, 21, that's a big gaming number. It because is. Because of Blackjack. 
because of that sport blackjack. <laughs> that famous pub well, game, pub game. <laughs> I mean, you can earn a lot of money from it. That's gambling. That's a different. That's a different area of the pub entertainment variety. Mm, true. But it all does come into the one. I think I might come on to that later, actually. All right. Shall I kick off by talking about where I think pub games begin? Yes. So the way I see it is that pub games and sports are the evolution of lawn games. So things that you would play kind of outdoors in your in your locale, things like um, bowling or ground billiard games, things that would have been the ancestors of croquet and um, bowls and patank and mm. all sorts so of not, stuff like that. Not Twister then. <laughs> Probably not Twister. I mean, we're, we're going back as far probably as ancient Egypt, certainly as far as um, ancient Rome, where mm-hmm. we know that people did bowling, like they played bowls, mm. which I think is really interesting. And also, you know, um, Britain's love of the pub really came from when the Romans came over and they brought taverns with them, sort of never really left our culture after the Roman taverns. So I think it's probable that along with the taverns, they brought over their outdoor activities that they like to play, like skittles and bowls and that sort of stuff, and hitting balls with sticks through hoops. Um, But the difference over here, uh, I don't know if you can piece this one together instinctively, but it's kind of easier to play those outdoor um, games all year round in the Mediterranean than it is in good old UK. (laughs) And so they kind of went well we can't play this outdoors in winter because that's no fun and they used to have like you know competing teams between villages and so forth right back as far as the 15th century Mm -hmm. and so what it meant was that they would all gather in their common public house you know in the pub and they would go in the warm and they could practice their games inside but of course they needed to adapt it a little bit so rather than having you know the full outdoor skittles experience they would adapt it into table skittles and variations thereof mm-hmm. um so that's kind of i think the main reason why you see so many varieties of pub games particularly in this country like you do see them in other places as well it's not you know it's not confined to this but you get more varieties and they exist more fully still in this country than they do in others from what I've seen. I think that's the reason. I think it's just because we can't play as many outdoor games as other people can. Mm -hmm. So I want to give you one example of a Skittles variety. There's like a hundred different versions of Skittles I found in in pubs games, you know, of the, of user ball to knock over some pins. But this one in particular I found is called Devil Among the Tailors. So that's nine small skittles arranged in a three by three square, usually with um, a shallow open top wooden box sitting on the table. And then the wooden ball is like a sort of golf ball and it hangs from a string attached to something that looks like a hangman's post. Yeah. And you have to knock down the skittles by swinging the ball, but you have to swing it in an arc rather than directly at the skittles. So yeah. it sort of goes around and has to knock them all over. Um, and the reason we believe that it's called <laughs> Devil Among the Tailors rather than just, you know, swing skittles or something is that in 1805, 
there was a play called The Tailors, a tragedy for warm weather, <laughs> um, which was presented at the theatre. It was the, then it was the little theatre in the Hay. It's now like the Haymarket um, in London. Yeah. And it was, it was a satire on tailors and they really were not happy. Because if you like, that's literally where they work, you know, Savile Row, it's just around the corner. So they weren't happy about the satire on their craft and they rioted. They had like a full riot outside the theatre. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> a, a tailor's riot at the theatre and but apparently like it was so bad that the normal special constables couldn't get them um uh, like couldn't get them to calm down they couldn't stop the riot so they had to call in a special unit called the lifeguards which is not what you're <laughs> thinking it wasn't david hasselhoff oh my god it would be amazing <laughs> Lomo jogging in with pammy i mean that would have been great but it wasn't uh the lifeguards um they're part of the cavalry um of, of the of the british army the household cavalry so they were called in and they basically like you know came into the riot and knocked him down it's not hard to imagine is it because we still see scenes like that um, they took 16 prisoners and the the kind of reputation of that story was that they'd done their job so effectively it was likened to a skittle ball plowing through skittles and so then they named that version of table skittles devil amongst the tailors nice yeah and actually in the subsequent edition of the play there is a note about this that's how we know it happened there's a note they sort of retitle it the devil among the tailors and includes a count of it <laughs> so i thought that was a really cool Cool story from a Bar Skittles event. Have you played Bar Skittles? Um, I don't think I have, but I do have a really cute story, actually, because when I told my mum that we were going to be talking about um, pub sports at bar games, she told me a story about her honeymoon. Um, because uh, I don't know why we were chatting about honeymoons at that point, but uh, <laughs> she said that... Um, when her and my dad got married, they didn't have a heck of a lot of money. So she wasn't actually planning on going on a honeymoon. They hadn't really mm-hmm. booked anything. And the night before the wedding or somewhere around then, my dad had said to her, like, oh, pack a bag. We are actually going somewhere. It's my my little treat. I've, I've sorted something out for a honeymoon. And so she was, like, really excited. She knew she wasn't going to be going abroad or anything because they didn't have that kind of budget. But she thought she was going to, like, London or somewhere really fancy. So she thought, mm, better pack on my best, you know, going off to London or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> bless him. My dad had booked just like a little hotel, which didn't sound like the best. Well, it was a pub, a room in a pub um, down somewhere around Llanelli or West Wales. <laughs> so my mum was like, oh, OK, we'll go down the road, but what else? Um, and they went and they spent one night in this pub slash hotel for their honeymoon. And there was absolutely nobody there. So there wasn't much atmosphere in the bar, but there were Skittles. And so my mum's honeymoon consisted of her and dad in an empty little pub down in West Wales playing bar Skittles. And she said they had the best time ever. Oh, I think that story might have sounded sadder if it was this time last year. But the idea of going just a bit down the road for a change of scenery sounds divine right now. So um, I think that's lovely. I'd love to play bar Skittles. (laughs) I have played it in like really old traditional pubs. When I was living in Devon, there's still quite a lot of these around, you know, particularly um, Devon in South Wales, I found quite a bit actually. Um, The um, Worcestershire and Herefordshire area and also East Sussex, like a lot of those sorts of places, more rural places still have 
a lot of the old versions of it. But I remember at university, we specifically went on like a coach trip with the department to go to this village and play in the old um, the old back alley basketballs. And it's really fun because you, you play with these old wooden balls that are not in any way spherical. And so the chances <laughs> of you, you know, getting anything over is purely by chance. It's all about the occasion of, of laughing yeah. and having fun. It's really good. I say bring them back. Mm. Before I uh, depart basketballs, I thought I'd familiarize yourself with a couple of the technical terms. Mm -hmm. So if you get all the skittles over, that's called a flopper. <laughs> um, if you don't get any of the skittles over, that's a beaver. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the skittle that sits right in the middle of the pack is called Fat Annie. Oh, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favourite terms that I wanted to bring you. Um, another game, which is... You know, in a similar earth, but it's um, it's kind of a ring toss called ringing the bull, mm -hmm. and um, it's when competitors try and attach a ring that's suspended on a string from the ceiling onto a hook that's on the wall, traditionally like a bull's horn. So you have to kind of swing it at it and try and get it hooked on. It's very difficult. They've yeah. got one of these at the old trip to Jerusalem, which is in Nottingham and claims to be the oldest inn in England. Um, mm -hmm. It's, I mean, so many places claim to be the oldest inn and they all have a different reason, whether it's because of the land they're on or the existing building or the license or whatever. But it is definitely one of the oldest. Um, I don't know if you've ever, I've, I have been there. Um, I've been to that pub and I played uh, that game, Ringing the Bull, and it's kind of like, um, at the bottom of cliff, carved into old stone, and it just does feel so very old. Nice. I recommend a trip there. Yeah. The old trip to Jerusalem. By the way, while we're on that, you know how pubs are kind of ye old? Yes. Y-E. Do you know why? I guess I just thought it was oldie English. <laughs> right. But people pronounce it ye old, right? Yeah. Okay, so the thing is, it's still pronounced the old. The thing is with the Y, it's, we used to use a character called the thorn from the Norse alphabet. So in the okay. Norse alphabet, like the runic alphabet, the thorn, it stands for TH, but it kind of looks a little bit like a Y. It's like a, long, a stick with a little bit coming off the top. So okay. gradually overuse, um, we kind of went from having the thorn e to y e in this language, but it's still pronounced the. But now we sort of sometimes call it ye. How the heck did you find that out? I, do you know what? It's one of those things I've known for a really long time, and I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was either. I mean, it was either from reading Norse mythology and stuff, or. Shakespeare, probably one of those two. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> but anyway, just while we're on that, thought I'd drop that one in as a bonus. Um, another game is Toad in the Hole. <laughs> oh, yum. Please tell me this is like an eating competition. <laughs> Alas, no. Um, it is nothing to do with the, um, the Yorkshire pudding sausage combo. Um, but it's more, it's kind of, it's a variety of, um, like shove hateney or coin toss. So they throw brass coins at a lead top table with a hole in the middle. 
Okay. Um, so it's a more kind of refined version of the of um, pitch penny. And mm -hmm. um, you throw four brass coins that they call toads uh, from the same distance as the dartboard to a square toad table made of uh, wooden legs on this lead surface. And if the toad goes down the hole, you score two points. And if it lands on the top, it scores one point. And if it hits the back of the table or falls off, then it doesn't score anything. So um, you can get a total of eight points per turn. And the scoring is performed very much like darts, that you play from 31 down. And the first competitor throws two toads, their opponent throws three, and then from then on you all throw four, until you reach a score of less than four, wherein only the number of toads equals the required finishing score may be thrown. So you kind of have to finish exactly like you do with darts. I don't understand why so many pub games involve maths. <laughs> <laughs> Like, my mental arithmetic's atrocious anyway, and booze in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, darts in particular is... I'm going to talk about darts later, but yeah, in particular, mathematically, that is challenging. Yes. Um, there's the Aunt Sally as well. It's a pub game, you know the Aunt Sally? Nope. It's basically a version of, um, like, you would get the coconut shy. Oh, right. Okay. Having, a, you know, having a dolly with... So you throw sort of sticks at it and uh, <laughs> try and get the uh, the Aunt Sally's head to fall off. And then you often win a prize. You still get lots of versions of that at Village Fates and stuff, but that was a popular game as well. 18th one, one thing um, I've noticed happening a lot more in the UK now, I, it kind of triggered it in my head when you mentioned Norse stuff, mm. um, is basically just hammering nails into bits of wood. <laughs> I see that a lot now in pubs, and that's like a big game in kind of Nordic countries. You're going to have to explain that one to me. Don't get it. Isn't um, that just DIY? Isn't that changing rooms? No, it's like a huge... Ma imagine like a big trunk, like a trunk of a tree, huge thing. Yes. Um, um, oh, I, I, I should look it up really when I talk to you about it because I don't know the exact rules because mm -hmm. I'm... It's usually in weddings people have them and by the time it gets to like end of the night party games, I don't remember much. I just know that there's a lot of people... I think you use like the wrong end of a hammer to try and hit the nail. Right. Something along that line, yeah. That's one for the listeners to investigate themselves. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't expect to about hammering things into wood. I didn't expect to talk about it, so I didn't research it. It just pops into my head. So amongst all the bizarre kind of examples and variations of all the pub games, I came across what I think is probably the most bizarre. It's called okay. Dwile Flunking. Mm, right. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I'm going, to tell you I'm going to tell you a couple of things and then read you the rules and just get your reaction. Okay. So first of all is in Shots Miscellany, this claims to be a 16th century game, at least being uh, depicted in the painting of Peter Bruegel, the Elder's children's games. Um, and crucially, I suppose what you need to know is that a dwile is a knitted floor cloth and which which comes from Dutch dwile meaning mop, and um, flonk is probably a corruption of flong, which is the old past tense of fling. So fling in okay. a mop. All right, here are the rules according to the friends of the Lewis Arms. And can I just say about Lewis as well? They have popped up in every single bit of research I've done on varieties of pe uh, pub games. There is something fishy going on in Lewis where they're doing nothing but playing weird games. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> Um, the, the rules of the game are impenetrable and the result is always contested. 
A dull-witted person is chosen as the referee or job an owl, and the two teams decide who flonks first by tossing a sugar beet. The game begins when the job an owl shouts, here you go together. The non-flonking team joins hands and dances in a circle around a member of the flonking team, a practice known as girting. The flonker dips his dwile-tip driveler, a pole two to three foot long and made from hazel or yew, into a bucket of beer, then spins around in the opposite direction to the girters and flonks his dwile at them. If the dwile misses completely, it is known as a swadge. When this happens, the flonker must drink the contents of an ale-filled gazunda chamber pot, as in gazunda the bed. Uh, before the wet dwile has passed from hand to hand along the, the line of now non-girting girters chanting the ceremonial mantra of pot, pot, pot. A full game comprises two snurds, each snurd being one team taking a turn at girting. The jobanal adds interest and difficulty to the game by randomly switching the direction of rotation and will levy drinking penalties on any player found not taking the game seriously enough. Points are awarded as follows. Plus three for a wanton, a direct hit on a Goethe's head. Plus two for a morver, a body hit. And plus one, a ripper, a leg hit. Minus one per sober person at the end of the game. At the end of the game, the team with the most points wins and will be awarded a ceremonial pewter gazunda. Wow. Give me your thoughts on dwarf flunking. I mean, that's number one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. It kind of reminds me of the time that Mew and Zaley invented our own game of ping pong in Amsterdam. Oh my goodness. Okay, hold that thought. I'm going to tell you the end of this and then, then talk about that. So, <laughs> I thought, did Peter Bruegel the Elder really paint um, all of this into children's games? Anyway, from my uh, extensive research, I'm 99% sure that this was created uh, by the good people at the Lewis Arms in the 1960s. <laughs> and they were all completely off their gourd when they created this and put it in a book and said, no, this is a real thing. There was a television special on it in 1967. People requested the official flonking rule books from as far away as Australia and Hong Kong and America. And they still do it now, but it's a massive piss take of all these traditional pub games. I really do want to go and play it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go dwarf flunking. All right, um, talk about that's not ping pong. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea still. <laughs> I just know that we had, just to give a bit of context, it was a boozy weekend in Amsterdam. We had completely, by chance, stumbled upon a massive pride event in the park in Amsterdam and we're just beside ourselves with excitement and got very very drunk doing that and when that was all over we found ourselves in like a little pub slash sports bar it felt a bit like a sports bar there were snooker tables and ping pong tables and stuff and we just started playing ping pong but it was a mixture of being far too drunk and already really bad at ping pong it meant that we couldn't really play ping pong so we invented our own game which didn't have any rules it just was oh. three three people running around a ping pong table hitting the ping pong ball and i don't know we just used to shout that's not ping pong a lot 
Yeah, we were too weak-willed to come up with any specific set of rules. So what we did is we decided by general consensus, we just decide if something wasn't ping pong rather than what made ping pong. <laughs> so every now and then we were like, no, that's not ping pong. <laughs> and then you didn't get a point. <laughs> it was like a really, uh, imagine, you know, you see those videos of like trick shots where people throw in ping pong balls and then they eventually what? like... <laughs> Bucket. Have you not seen them? I have, but I'm surprised you're mentioning it on this podcast. Why? <laughs> Trick shots and ping pong balls. Well. <laughs> um, but it was like a bad version of that. It was like all... <laughs> We're not thinking about the same thing. Not, not, no, I'm talking about like those frat boys in America that do stupid trick shots. With right, you mean more of the... Beer pong variety. Yes, get not your mind the, up. Um, yes. Not the. Imagine not the. the Stop it! We're, I'm, I'm rising above this one. <laughs> <laughs> Stop ping pong. <laughs> um, <laughs> you put me off now. No, <laughs> but that's not ping pong. It's like imagine all of the outtakes from the frat boys ping pong videos. Hmm. To have all of those together and just add three drunk people randomly shouting, that's not ping pong. And that is, that's not ping pong. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that there was a song? Yes. <laughs> I can't try to remember the song. It was, let's get ready to ping pong to the tune yes. of let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember. I also remember the barman asking us to leave. Not yeah. because he didn't like that's not ping pong. It was sure. time to leave. Sure, that was, that was the reason. <laughs> no, I mean, really, it was 4am, wasn't it? So, yeah, enough. Um, all right, well, good. Let's bring us back to um, some sensible conversation now, because that was all very silly. Um, now, I'm sure Wales has some, you know, traditional, ancient historic, sensible bar games that I need to know about? Yes, there is an official one. And it's called Tip It. Uh, and it's essentially just a game of bluff. So it's played by two teams of three who sit opposite each other at the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, whoever's, whoever's the playing team will have a button or a coin. And they will take, take the coin and beneath the table, they'll all put their hands and they'll pass it between the hands and they'll finally decide on who's going to hold the coin or button. They then all have to put their hands back on the table with clenched fists and the opposing team have to find the tippet, which is the button on the coin. And so they just play, um, they'll take it in turns to tap one of the clenched fists and they can either say away or tip it. So if they say away, it means I don't think the tippet's in that hand, so you have to open your hand and take the hand away, and you eventually do that until the tippet's found. Mm -hmm. um, you, yeah, you score points for obviously incorrect incorrect guesses. Points go to the team that are playing. Correct guesses guesses go to the team we're guessing, uh, and that's that. But it's a big deal in Wales. It's like a really big deal. It's hundreds of years old, and they have. Um, let me get the name right. Don't want to get any angry uh, Tippet players. They have <laughs> a World Amateur Tippet Society. 
where they have world championships. Um, and one guy, Mr. Kingston, who won the championship, uh, he said there's such thing as a tippet face, similar to a poker face, because you can't give away to the opposition that you have the tippet. So he said the team we played against in the final decided to close their eyes for some of the games. And at one stage, they played with their heads on the table to try and avoid any eye contact. They take it very seriously. That sounds like cheating to me. I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, with poker, you should be able to read expressions as part of the gameplay. Yeah. I think you could double bluff. Mm. Um, but it was actually, uh, the, the world championships weren't televised, but they, uh, they nabbed the game, tip it, and made it into a TV program on S4C for a while back in like 2006 or something. So nice. Yeah, briefly was revived. So tip it. I can't say I've ever played it, but uh, I'm up for a bit of tip it. Next I would. I love bluffing games. Yeah. I really enjoy bluffing games. The I think far too much about it, about the psychology of it. <laughs> well, that that was the actual words that that guy said. He said, uh, "Although it's mainly a game of chance, there is a psychological edge to it." Yeah, like <laughs> I'm sold. Um, and then, not so much a historical game. It's more just a weird game that I play with my family. I don't even know if it's a thing, but we always play it in like family Christmas parties and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, my dad used to play it a lot in the rugby club. So I'm guessing it's just some crude game that the boys used to play at the rugby. Mm -hmm. um, so it's called Bombers. And you have to get uh, a big stack of 2p coins, say maybe 10, 15. And you've got to wedge them into the crack of your bum. Uh, <laughs> when I play this... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> when you... Okay. So are they like... How am I going to phrase this? Is it kind of going in like a cylinder, or it, are you clutching a mass? Like, how intrusive is this? It's as intrusive as you want to make it. Oh, okay. I mean, all I'm going to say is that you place your own coins. <laughs> okay, right. I certainly do. Uh, so obviously, when I play with my family, we're all fully clothed. But I have heard stories of rugby boys playing this completely of naked. Course. Um, and so the edge to the game is that you're depositing these 2p coins into a, a pint glass and it's at the other end of the room. So you have to put the 2p coins where they go and then you have to quite literally like shuffle the length of the room, not mm -hmm. dropping any. And then you've got to deposit them in the pint glass and that's what's hard because you, once you're there, you automatically just want to like go and let them all out. Yeah. <laughs> But if you're doing that at a height and it just kind of goes like a cluster bomb, it smashes the pint glass and you're automatically disqualified if they smash the pint mm. glass. So you have to kind of get a, a squat on while still clenching your bum and get low enough to just safely deposit them in the in the pint glass. First of all, is this what counts for an ISA in Wales? <laughs> Second of all... I don't think I'll ever erase the phrase get a squat on from my mind. <laughs> oh, I've got all the catchphrases in my life. Chin it, get a squat on. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, I mean... Next time you're in Wales, we'll go to the rugby club. No. And... <laughs> we'll play. Get a squat on. 
um also i don't carry change i just have to do it with my debit card <laughs> i can so imagine you in the rugby club uh do you take apple pay yeah. <laughs> get out <laughs> oh i really enjoy mocking your friends when they come down to london about how they try to pay in cash for things funnily enough we had this conversation the other day and they were very yeah. proud they don't carry cash anymore they're like oh that's one thing a coronavirus we don't do cash anymore <laughs> <laughs> made such a difference in your lives but do you remember that one that one meal we had at a restaurant where i joined something like 10 of your welsh friends that were down and everyone yeah. tried to split the bill in cash and i was just astounded wasn't i I think it got to a point where you were like, can we just put this on my card and we'll sort it out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll pay for everyone. You can, this you can all get stop. a squat on later and we'll sort it out. <laughs> Come back to the flat and we'll bomb it out. <laughs> oh, um, that's beautiful. Thank you. Is that all from, from Marsh Games for now? <laughs> I think I've done enough here, yeah. I think you have done enough. You've done more than enough. <laughs> think about what you've done. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Back to something um, a little more recognisable. Let's talk about darts. We can't not talk about darts. It's got to be like the number one pub game, right? Guilty pleasure, yeah. So what's interesting about darts is the, the first regulation concerning the national control of pubs was about pub games. It came from Henry VII's statute in 1495, where he restricted the playing of indoor games which were distracting the Tudor pub men from archery. So Henry VII was, you know, he was, he was the sensible one, really, of, of the Henrys. Um, and he was like, look, if you're going to be practicing all these sorts of games, then really it should be for the benefit of our warfare. But cut to uh, Henry later, Henry VIII, he was actually given a set of darts by Anne Boleyn you know, pre-head getting cut off, obviously. Um, <laughs> and, Maybe that's what gave him ideas. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, you know, he was really in, I mean, he was very loose anyway, obviously, but he was really into his games and stuff. Um, I mean, they called it darts. It probably wasn't the modern darts, almost certainly, but um, what was most likely is that archers would have done a thing where they created much shorter arrows so they could do indoor archery. Mm -hmm. um, rather than the big outdoor archery, just for sort of entertainment purposes. And the original dartboards um, then would have been probably um, tree trunks that would have been um, cut up. So you've got kind of like the circle and the and the rings to sort of see where your where your little your little arrow or dart was going. Mm -hmm. um, and they would have soaked it first to soften it up as well, so it wasn't damaging the, um, the arrows quite so much. But yeah, a turnaround quite quickly in approach to the indoor game scenario, but we have to wait a few hundred years until we formally get darts. The modern rules weren't set down in stone until 1926. Mm -hmm. We have the creation, definitely, of some rules, like a variety of rules and a variety of dartboards from the end of the 19th century, sort of 1890s. But um, what they tried to do in, 18, in 1926 was solidify that into one set of rules so that they could create nationwide competition. 
So, um, of course, of all the variations, the one that uh, decided to, you know, put their flag in the ground and say we're the real one was in London. Uh, <laughs> the Red Lion in Wandsworth. I say that out of pity and respect to all the northern varieties that probably are still knocking around in a few pubs up there. But yeah, the Red Lion in Wandsworth, June 1926. It was called the Licensees Cup. It was the first competition anywhere in the world to be played under an agreed set of rules created by the newly formed National Darts Association. Um, so it was, you know, all the darts versions were probably based on an earlier pastime called Puff and Darts, which okay. was popular in the 19th century taverns earlier on. So Puff involved shooting tiny darts at targets using blowpipes. That uh, sounds fun. It does sound fun. Like, I would love to have a go at that. But as they point out, if you're in a pub and people are drunking, drug drunking, <laughs> that was a good, um, that was a good mistake. If you're in a pub and people are drinking, unfortunately, sometimes they forget to puff and instead they suck. <laughs> oh my god! So too much sucking and not enough puffing led to a bit of a rethink, um, and by the turn of the century, that's when darts are starting to be thrown rather than blown. And it does the rounds amongst fairgrounds um, and showmen and breweries are really into it and sponsoring it. Um, and they get really popular over the decades. So anyway, this new darts association meets in Hoban to codify the game. And what they do is they say, we're going to begin with 301 points um, mm -hmm. and count down from that. The reason it was 301 is because that's three times around the cribbage boards. So cribbage was a really popular pub card game, yeah. and you have um, you kind of have this set board that you with holes that you put a peg in and you move it around, and it would be like a hundred round, but then you mm -hmm. have one at the end, so three hundred and one. That's why they would use the cribbage board to score, kind of saving our our maths heads. Indeed. And then you take three darts per throw, and you have to start and finish with the double. So those were the original ones, and. Also, what was important about that is that all the matches would be played on what is now the most familiar board, which was the London board. There were lots of different versions of the layout of the board. But what they yeah. did, they, they had the double and treble ring. So a lot of other versions didn't have the treble ring, for example. Mm -hmm. And they made sure there was a purposeful, awkward numbering system, pitching the higher values adjacent to the lower, so that it made it more skilled. Because if you kind of bunch them up in areas, you know, it's easier to sort of aim. Uh, of course. I never really thought about that, but that does make sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know how many version, how many possible dartboards there would be? Oh my God. No. <laughs> Lots. Have a rough guess. Um, I don't know. 5,000. <laughs> okay. So here's how you work it out. There's 20 numbers, right? So that's yeah. 19 factorial. That mm -hmm. means kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll give you the actual number. That means there are 121 quadrillion, 645 trillion, 100 billion, 408 million, 832,000 possible dartboards. So I was close. <laughs> 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 you were you were closer than anyone else had guessed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of permutations. Like it's figuring out the optimum 
a dartboard configuration to make it fairest is an interesting mathematical challenge, but I think the London board did a fairly decent stab at it. Yeah. Um, and also what happened around that time is so they had been made from wood. They, they weren't a cross-section of a log by then. They were traditionally made from elm that mm -hmm. had been soaked to make them soft. But after a while, kind of that chips away and all the commonplaces start to get holes. So in 1935, the chemist Ted Legger and the pub owner Frank Dabbs started to use um, fibrous material instead of, um, instead of wood, you know, all bunched up in the metal rings. And they used fiber from the agave plants, the Americanus agave. And um, of course, what's interesting about that is agave gives us mezcal and tequila. Yum. So really, you know, tequila shots are an official drink of the darts, um, darts <laughs> the dartboard, I would say, given that it's made of agave fibers. I'm not drinking tequila tonight. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, obviously, I knew it's fibre because you, when you take the dart out, it sort of reheals itself. Yeah. Hmm. Um, top tip if you're looking for a dartboard in London, which can sometimes feel a bit tricky because of all the, you know, big fancy pubs and craft breweries and stuff, there's a website called capitalarrows.com and it'll give you a map of all the pubs that have usable dartboards on them. Yes, I, I really want to try those digital ones that are knocking around now. Darts 3D, yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's some sort of more hipster versions knocking around called Flights. And actually, there's a shuffleboard bar opening around the corner from me on Bermondsey oh. Street. I can't believe we haven't talked about shuffleboard. I bloody love shuffleboard. Yeah, it's why it kind of came in the realm of, you know, um, Penny Pitch and Chef Apeny and all that sort of stuff. So I, um, I chose Toad in the Hole for that example. Yeah. There really are hundreds and hundreds of varieties of each sort of category of mm -hmm. pub game, so could have talked forever about it, but yeah. I won't. Have you got any um, darts stories to finish off that section before I move on to our final, slightly horrific section? Where to start? I have so many dart stories. Mm. Like, I'm obsessed with I mean, I know you're darts. a fan, so I thought you'd have something. <laughs> I mean, poof. I mean, I've already told a story about my mum and dad, but I've got another brilliant one that involves my mum. Yes. Um, so my mum, in particular, loves Bobby George. She just thinks he's an absolute character. She thinks he's got a wicked laugh. She just likes him. From context, I'm assuming he's a darts player. Yes, so he's a darts player. <laughs> and he is one of like proper old school 80s darts players where he's just dripping in gold and just... Yeah. I think, yeah, he's just, he's brilliant. Um, and obviously he doesn't play as much now. I think a couple of years ago he stopped playing and now he just does commentating and he's not been very well either. Uh, so when it was announced that he was doing like a little meet and greet and exhibition thing in uh, mid Wales, I asked my mum if she wanted to go and she was like, yes, absolutely do want to go. Uh, so along he went, we went and he was, playing with it was him and another darts player called Wayne Mardle who was another really famous darts player and is now commentating and they did like a couple of like exhibition games they were doing trick shots and playing with each other and there was also a raffle <laughs> um, and my mum won the raffle which meant she had the opportunity to go up on stage and play darts with them <sighs> and she was atrocious <laughs> <laughs> really bad i don't think she'd ever thrown a dart before it was 
it was just so bad like the first dart she threw just went past the board past the like kind of rubber around the board to protect the backboard and like just flew almost off stage into the backboard the second dart she threw landed on the floor and the third dart she threw took the light out which was being used to like light up the dartboard <laughs> it was like really bad um <laughs> and this happened like a few times until she I think she turned to William Arden and just said like I don't want to play anymore because <laughs> 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 everyone was laughing at her um and I thought William Arden was going to wee himself laughing because he found it so funny um so much so he insisted ha in having a picture with my mum next to the dartboard and later that night he tweeted a picture of her <laughs> he just wrote something along the lines of um this is Liz, she's from South Wales, and she is hands down the worst starts player I've ever met. <laughs> wow, I mean, that is an honour. <laughs> it is an honour. Um, so, more recently, it was my mum's birthday in August, um, and I wanted to do something nice for her, because it was like crappy lockdown birthday. And so I contacted one of these um, websites that have popped up recently that um, it allows you to request video messages from like famous people. Mm -hmm. I noticed that Bobby George was on there. So I thought, oh, mum would love it if she had a message from Bobby George for her birthday. So I filled it in and it's quite straightforward. You just have to put your name in. So it was like O'Leary. Uh, who was the message for? My mum, Liz. And then just said, like, give some context and Bobby will make a message. So I just said, it's my mum's birthday. She's a massive fan of yours. You met in Blynavon and laughed at her because she was so terrible at the darts. So maybe you can take the piss out of her for that if you want. But just give her a happy birthday. She'd be really, really happy. And that was that. A few days later, the video came through. I was really excited. I'd already prepared myself for Bobby George to say my name, name wrong. Like, not many people can say O'Leary. But he got it so wrong, <laughs> so wrong in that he just mixed all the names up. So I had a video message from Bobby George that said, Hi, Lisa, I heard it's your birthday. Your daughter Liz got in touch. <laughs> <laughs> and then he runs this big, long anecdote about how we met in Blynhaven and like, yeah, all the best, Lisa. Bye. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the fact that both things were a failure adds to it you know if you just done it perfectly it wouldn't have matched the original yeah. story just yeah so all of the fails around bobby george and my mum's darting hero oh, <laughs> that's so good let's <laughs> see anecdote she loved the video she put it on facebook she's like i know the name's wrong but look <laughs> some random birthday wishes for her <laughs> Oh, so good. Oh, bullies. Um, I felt like we couldn't ignore blood sports. No, I don't want to. <laughs> as long as I keep it all historical, then we've got a healthy distance from it. But it's, it informs quite a lot of the names that we have for pubs now. So I feel like it's useful information to have. Mm -hmm. um, so blood sports like uh bear baiting and bull baiting you know kind of rid the heads in the 12th century and despite legislation kind of keep going until about the 19th century um mm -hmm. which is gross and you know other versions of, of blood sports went on even longer than that but where my most of my exposure to you know um bear baiting and bull baiting was researching 
Renaissance theatre because a lot of what we know about um, the theatres of that time, like, you know, the, the Globe and the Rose and um, all that sort of stuff, comes from the writing of a guy called Philip Henslow, who mm-hmm. was an entrepreneur who had his hands in many things, um, and particularly being a landlord of a lot of places in Southwark. And that included the Hope Theatre that he built. Mm-hmm. And the Hope Theatre is, um, its I mean, it's very near where the Globe is now. It's literally kind of just across the road and around the corner. And where the Globe is now <laughs> is mm-hmm. equidistant, the other side from where the old Globe was and where yeah. the Rose Theatre was. And you know, <laughs> like a lot of theatres around, around that side. So Philip Henslow bought what was the Bear Garden on Bankside. Uh, it was kind of known as the Bear Garden because it was a bear pit. And he was like, I know I could buy this space and turn it into a dual purpose theatre. So mm-hmm. he bought the, he, he called it the Hope Theatre. Um, people still call it the Bear Garden though, because that's kind of the common parlance that they, they grew to know it as. And it was a bear pit, but then you could also wheel out like a stage for performances mm-hmm. um and this is <laughs> not only is it mentioned in his own kind of diaries but it gets mentioned from uh, a couple of the playwrights in in the shows that they put on there i mean most famously ben johnson Bartholomew fair basically says about how much it stinks like it stinks like old smithfield market because obviously it was full of dead animals and gross stuff gross. um can you imagine um <laughs> And so he's building this in um, 1613, August of 1613. And this is just a couple of months after the the first, well, not the first, but the globe had burned down. So the, the globe burned down in 1613 and then it was being rebuilt. So they were re- rebuilding the globe and the hope just across the road from each other at the same time, but they were opposing companies. So there was like, it took quite a long time to happen because clearly like they were competing for, you know, the labor to construct both of them. Anyway, that's, that's the story kind of, I know about that, but Bear Garden is still a street. Like you can literally still see Bear Garden Street next to the globe. And that's because that's where that space was, where they did lots of bear baiting. And it was like the most popular, there were lots of places they did it around the city and it moved around, but that was the most popular Mm -hmm. around that time competing with the theatres for attention. So originally you get all these blood sports kind of in association with the theatres and in things like, and the theatres also used to perform when they went on tour because they wouldn't have, you know, like big purpose built theatres in towns around the country, only, you know, in the the big cities. So what they used to do is perform in the courtyards of, um, of inns Um, and taverns and stuff and they would construct the stage there and that's also where they would have uh, the blood sports the fighting Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of like you go through the 17th century I mean not only are you going through like a big puritan phase where even the theatres are getting closed down but when it does come back and the theatres are a bit more sort of respectable and they're not like the big open open roofed ones now the hope was actually the last big open roof um, theatre and thereafter they all became enclosed so you don't get the animal fights in there after that. Instead, mm-hmm. they kind of stay with the um, the pubs. They stay with like the, the inns and the taverns and the courtyards and stuff. Um, but also bears are 
increasingly expensive because now, I mean, we, we wiped out all the bears in Britain, so they had to import them from yeah i know exactly so it become it became too expensive um to do that so instead they kind of turned to cheaper animals to fight like um cocks and ducks and rats like particularly ratting was a thing um they had famous bulldogs that would devour like 100 rats in five minutes or something pretty grim so that kind of sport reaches its peak in like the 18th century, um, really. And you can see, as I say, you can see the legacy in a lot of the pub names now. So in Soho, there's the Dog and Duck um, right on Frith Street. And yeah. that was uh, the, the home of duck baiting for London. So ducks were released into the ponds, like the pond at the back of the pub. Um, but they had their wings constrained. So why, why? I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's history, you know, like, got to balance it out, man. So the, the ducks had their wings constrained. Uh, they would float atop the water uh, so they couldn't fly away. And then they'd release a dog into the pond and they'd have this sort of water-based oh. battle. And, you know, people would bet on it and stuff. And then you've got quite a few, um, the old Fighting Cocks pubs. There's a, quite a well-known one in St Albans, an old one. That's where they would have had the uh, cockfighting. And cockfighting, they attach um, steel or silver spurs onto their, you know, onto their claws, onto their, onto their feet. Um, yeah. To give them extra attack. And they'd fight one another for up to like 20, 25 minutes until, you know, either the weaker one gave up or died. Um, which is pretty grim. Um, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act came in in 1849 which was the attempt to kind of put a stop to all of that, but it did carry on well into the 20th century. We know that yeah. um, in this country, and it still goes on in other countries as well, but it was officially banned as a sport in um, 1849 here. Um, but it wasn't just animals. Uh, there were lots of boxing pubs where um, mm-hmm. bare knuckle boxing would happen for, you know, for, for sport and betting. Um, and a lot of the, pubs were nicknamed Bucket of Blood, um, if they were pugilist pubs, if they were particularly violent. And actually, I mentioned the Bucket of Blood in the Halloween episode, that there were yeah. bartenders that were in the Bucket of Blood, which was potentially one of the origins for Bloody Mary. But there were quite a few pubs that were called that because of, because of the fighting. Mm-hmm. So that was all like the, the working class entertainments. The upper classes had, you know, by the, they, they called them... Um, Copper hells, by the way, of the the like lower class patrons, because it was like the the copper coins, and it was you know gross and stinky and bloody and horrible and stuff. And yeah. by contrast, the upper class versions were called golden halls. So they had gentlemen's clubs like Whites and Brooks. And what I find really interesting about that is you kind of think, oh, the upper class version of this is um, horse racing or something, right? Um, but they were, I mean, they were very bored people. And instead, they would do things like bet on feats that each other could achieve. So, you know, like around the world in 80 days, yeah. that starts as a gentleman's club bet that he can't really? go in a balloon, you know, around the world in 80 days. Um, but there were, you know, much more <laughs> kind of stupid and sinister bets that happened there. Like the one, there's a record actually of a guy in white who bet that he could survive 
for 12 hours underwater. And he was uh, sunk in his ship and never heard from again. Oh, my God. So that didn't happen. Um, but, yeah, the, the, they kind of had these really weird... It was like not immediate blood sport, but very much a contempt for human life that they could bet on <laughs> in these clubs. And that's, that, those were the sort of precursors to gambling halls, really. So um, the Betting, Gaming and Lotteries Act came in in 1963. And that meant that you couldn't have uh, gambling of that sort in pubs anymore. They had to clean up their image. They had to have a more family feel. It was like a big overhaul of the kind of stuff you could have as entertainment in pubs. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't get that anymore. I mean, obviously you get, you know, things like slot machines and stuff, but that's a slightly different, um, that's a slightly different wheel because apparently it's all... um, there's, there's got to be like some skin involved or something. I can't remember exactly what the rules are behind that. But anyway, we don't, we don't bet people to go and be underwater for 12 hours or make chickens no. fight each other with steel spurs anymore. Have you heard of the humane hunt that they have in um, Swansea? Um, I don't think so. Every year it's on Boxing Day, because obviously that's like a popular day for hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's essentially like a protest against hunting, but they do this humane hunt where um, they they hunt a person, <laughs> so somebody volunteers to be like oh, hunted, <laughs> and um, yeah, he runs away, he gets a head start, and then people have to chase him on horses and stuff. And it's like a really popular thing. Um, Brian May is uh, very anti-hunting, and he comes down Swansea every year on Boxing Day to start the the humane hunt does the volunteer have to dress up like a bunny or anything <laughs> i don't think so but they have to like mark a scent on him obviously it's for the the dogs oh. to follow. In... i don't know what it is i don't think it's anything gross or mean because it's essentially led by a bunch of vegans like patchouli <laughs> 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 Yeah, I that. that sounds like, um, I mean, that just sounds like a sort of old fashioned extreme version of hunted. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't have CCTV at their disposal, but they do have horses. I would watch yeah, that. Yeah, there's horses and beagles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on the world of pub games? No, that's it. That's it from me too. So our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to flonk our dwiles. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> That's not ping pong. Not ping pong. Wherever I may roam, or land or sea or fall, you can always hear me singing this song. Show me the way to go home.